Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter, a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and co-working spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. I've been a member of The Riveter since nearly the beginning and have proudly watched them expand from Seattle to cities around the country. You might even remember that their CEO and founder, Amy Nelson, was my very first guest on this podcast. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my kitchen conversations and post-event chats with my fellow Riveters, both women and men. The Riveter believes that equity and opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit www.theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I just signed up for Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. You can ask anyone. I hate shopping. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. Visit www.armoire.style to get started. I think just generally we need to look at what's the message that we're giving to ourselves and to each other. Because if we're just putting ourselves to the bottom of the pile until we're so depleted, there's nothing left. Well, we are our main resource in our business. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive coach and lifestyle expert, Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hey, podcast listeners, Lara here. First off, I want to thank those of you who've rated and reviewed the podcast recently or ever, really, as we try to get to 75 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts by the end of the year. We're at about, oh, I don't know, 53 or so. It makes me really happy to see the little love notes that you leave there. It really does keep me going to get your feedback in that way. So thank you for that. I want to read this review that was left the other day by KNG0638 because it especially made me smile. Quote, essential for sanity. This podcast keeps me calm and motivated while balancing way too much stuff. The interviews are inspiring and the host nails it with her soothing tone and reaching topics. End quote. Thanks, KNG0638. I'm so glad that listening to the podcast helps. Although I have to giggle when people tell me that I have a soothing or calming effect on them. It's something that I hear quite a lot. And calm is not how I would describe what happens in my head sometimes. Anyway, it must be my coaching persona. So please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast right now if you haven't already. Before you forget, it really does make a difference. Thanks. Anxiety. What comes up for you when you hear that word? Even saying it makes me anxious. We've all been there. Racing heart, shallow breathing, sweaty palms. And while there are certainly times when anxiety is alerting us to real danger, living in today's high-conflict world can also keep us in a constant state of fight, flight, or freeze. How do you know if your anxiety is, quote, normal? 
My guest on this week's episode is navigating an anxiety disorder while building a successful coaching and strategy business. And while her story is only one person's experience, Joe Casey has a lot of wisdom to share about managing anxiety, building resilience, and speaking your truth, even if you're afraid of being judged. We talked about how Joe first knew that she might have an anxiety disorder and how it feels different from day-to-day anxiety why Joe's values as a business owner prompted her to share her story and how she worked through the vulnerability of doing that. The lesson that Joe's recent illness taught her about being a successful entrepreneur and the protective lifestyle factors that help Joe manage her anxiety. Enjoy the interview. So Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Ah, oh, it is my pleasure. I, I was just saying, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a, a big fan of your show. So it's uh, a real privilege and an honor to be invited on. Well, thank you. That's so lovely to hear. I love hearing from listeners and it is, it's such a treat to have a listener then come on as a guest. Um, so I appreciate your, your reaching out on both counts. And I especially appreciate that you offered to talk about anxiety because I think that that's such a common experience just, you know, at a very basic human level. And then obviously, you know, you have experience personally with anxiety disorder specifically, which is, you know, a different experience, I'm sure, than sort of just day-to-day anxiety. And I would love to hear about that. But let's start with this, you know, when did you first understand that you had an anxiety disorder? Um, it was, I was, I was trying to think about this earlier on, and it was kind of in my late 20s. So I'd been I can remember really clearly being a worrier as a child. And then when I hit adolescence, I started getting panic attacks. But I didn't know they were panic attacks at the time. And so it kind of went right into my kind of late 20s before I finally found a doctor who said, yeah, I'm going to refer you to a psychiatrist. And I was like, oh no, that means I'm crazy. And the psychiatrist was really lovely and, and said, you know, I think you have initially what they thought was uh, you had um, uh, bipolar two, which is where you can get uh, depressed and then occasionally you get quite manic. And then that was later changed to OCD obsessive compulsive disorder, but with obsessive thoughts and with an added little sprinkle of uh, an anxiety disorder on there as well. Oh but it was, it was a huge relief to have a name for it mm. and to mm-hmm. have um, a, a route to some treatment because otherwise it, it just felt very lonely and like I was a, you know, a, a total misfit with not a lot of, uh, not a lot of a future, really. Oh my gosh, there's so many things in there that, you know, I mean, the first thing that stands out to me is just that that initial reaction that you had, you know, like, oh my gosh, being referred to a psychiatrist and thinking, oh my gosh, that means I'm crazy. And just how how the sort of cultural stigma around mental illness, like, yeah, like that's probably a common thought and it's just such a terrible place to go. And I'm sure you're not the the only person who's who's had that thought when referred to a mental health professional. No, and and what what is amazing is so I'm on like I'm I'm on a year of being really open about all of this. So I'm like talking about it very publicly. I've talked about it on on my podcast and on other people's podcasts. And what's amazing is the number of people who kind of will say, "Oh my god, it's so amazing that you're talking about it." But I can remember at the time when I first got my diagnosis, I um, worked in a big call center at the time. 
So, you know, on these, there was like, I think 400 of us worked in, the, in, in this place doing customer service and things like that. And I can remember confiding in a few colleagues that the, the reason that I, I, I'd been out that day was because I, I'd been to see this psychiatrist and I'd been diagnosed with this thing. And people kind of muttered a bit politely and, and nodded. And then one by one, people started coming up to me and saying, actually, I had an episode and, and, and I remember the, the number of times people would come up and they would have like the name of a drug written on a little slip of paper going, I was on this. I found it really helpful. And so it was this, it was this revelation that actually there was so many more people who were experiencing this type of thing, but yet we were all keeping it secret. It was like everybody's dirty little secret that we could yeah. Totally. Well, and I don't know what the stats are because I'm obviously not a mental health professional, but I, you know, I feel like in terms of just mental health um, I'll, I don't, I don't know, challenges, I guess, is the best way to describe that, that it's actually a very high percentage of the, of the population that has something in their lifetime, right? That has some kind of, you know, mental health challenge. And, and yeah, like when people aren't talking about it, it does, it feels like a dirty, dirty little secret. I actually, I'm curious. So again, I know you're not, you're also not a mental health professional, but what is your understanding of sort of the difference between sort of anxiety or I guess situational anxiety or however that's framed and an anxiety disorder? So my understanding is certainly the way that it, it works for, for, for me. And of course, everybody's experience is going to be um, different to, to varying degrees, but certainly my experience of it, my understanding of it is an anxiety disorder is it's not necessarily environmentally triggered or situational. So it can be, and, and quite often it is, it kind of comes out of the blue. It can be first thing in the morning, like literally open your eyes and it's like, <gasps> what's going on? Something terrible is happening. So it's, it's, it's kind of your system, your protective system is going into to overdrive. Drive. It's like hypervigilant. I see. But it's not, you know, necessarily triggered by, um, so there are some situations that it's absolutely right and proper and appropriate that you should be anxious in them. You know, if you're faced by a wild animal or if, you know, there's, there's something that is dangerous going on, it's a very natural, healthy response to be anxious. And what happens when we're anxious is it's, it's this thing of hypervigilance that your body's going into. Adrenaline, you've got cortisol there. It means your body is preparing for fight, flight, or freeze. And what happens with people with anxiety disorder, certainly this is my layperson's understanding, is that that system is is kind of like on a hair trigger. It can be triggered by all kinds of different things. And then sometimes, like I say, it just seems to be, oh, I've just, I just woke up like this. I just woke up and my body is reacting as if there is a tiger at the bottom of the bed. Right, um, right. Does, does that make sense? Does yeah, no, it totally makes sense. What's going through my head is just when I feel anxious, yes, there's, I can usually identify a reason for it, right? Like, like you said, like it's a, it's a natural response to something. And generally speaking, I can identify what's causing it. Whereas it sounds like, you know, if you have an anxiety disorder, that's not, not necessarily the case that there might not actually be a, a particular reason for it. Or if there's a reason for it, it's your response to it is disproportionate. So yeah, it's like okay. it's like your baseline level of 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 uh, kind of responsiveness uh, is is heightened. So it can it can sometimes just take the tiniest little thing to kind of you know tip you over over the edge and kind of spark a, an anxiety attack or um, just a really kind of 
unpleasant, hypervigilant, very anxious state. Yeah. Yeah. So what prompted you to start talking about it? Because, you know, obviously you work with business owners and, and when you reached out to me, you talked about sort of, you know, how you've continued to, you know, run your own business, sort of managing this. But what was it that was like, you know, I need to talk about this? There was two things. The main one is that one of the things that I talk about a lot with my clients, one of my kind of core kind of values and the, the, one of the core things that I help people with is developing an authentic business, an authentic brand. And yet here was this big part of me that I wasn't talking about. And so integrity is one of my kind of highest values. And it was just really incongruent that I wasn't being more open about it. And there was lots of reasons, you know, I, I, I think there is sometimes a fine line between, you know, we're still, we're still business owners. If I'm having a bad day, I'm not going to take social media and just go, my life is awful. You know, no one wants to hear that. I'll reach out to the people who've, you know, have earned the right and can support me. That's not fair to be putting onto my, my audience. But at the same time, I got quite sick last year. And I hadn't been sick in that way. So what happens with my um, disorder is that it can come and go. It doesn't ever actually totally go away. I'll still have probably a heightened stress response, a heightened anxiety response. But with medication and with some, you know, kind of good lifestyle tools, it can be more manageable at times than others. And I'd had quite a few years where it'd be really manageable. And then a few things that I was doing just were, were kind of, what's the word, chipping away at the foundation of kind of safety and staying well that I had beneath me. So the, the first thing was that I was working really long hours. Like I was doing the whole kind of, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Oh, I'm oh, so, so, so busy. I have so much. And you know what it's like when you run your own business. The to-do list will never end. You have to kind of, you know, call time on the day now and again. And I hadn't really been doing that. I had stopped. I'd had a really good year. The year before my business had really taken off. I was busy. I was busy with clients. But I had stopped all of those kind of protective lifestyle factors that we, we talk about. You know, um, I didn't have anything outside of my, my home, my family that I was doing other than my, my work. And because I worked from home, that meant an awful lot of time of being in my house and I had no hobbies. I can remember going to um, a training event and somebody saying, so what did you do for fun? And I couldn't answer the question. I was like, oh, this isn't good. I, uh, I had been probably managing my, my tiredness and not taking a break with too much sugar and alcohol, you know, glass of wine or two at the end of the night on a weekend. And then the weekend becomes like three days long and that's four days long. And then Wednesday's practically the weekend, right? <laughs> and even though it was only a couple of glasses of wine, a couple of glasses of wine five nights a week is impacting. So it was all of these things kind of creeping in. And then my daughter got sick. Um, my daughter was diagnosed with uh, an unusual type of, of asthma and it landed her in the hospital for like five days. And then she was ill for three or four months, like quite seriously ill. Like I never knew when I was going to get a call from the school to say, you need to come get him now. You, we need to take to the emergency room. It was very stressful. Yeah, and sure. I had no capacity built into my lifestyle to, to handle that and so once she got well as soon as I was out of that kind of caring mode 
then I was so depleted that my anxiety just came back with, you know, a roar. And it was a real wake up call around, I need to be, I need to have learned the lessons that this, uh, you know, this anxiety, this disorder, this illness has taught me over the years, which is you have to prioritize self-care. It's non-negotiable. It's not a nice to have. You have to do it. And I, I'd kind of fallen off the wagon. So it's though, so it was the fact that I had been ill last year and then that I just didn't feel like I was in integrity, not being open about it and not talking about it. And I really wanted to start having more conversations around, listen, people, as business owners, we need to really look at sustainability, not just financial, but energetic and you know, all, all of the other ways we really need, we can't just keep paying lip service to this. We, we have to prioritize it because I don't know about you, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs and, and, you know, we're really good at putting ourselves last and working the long hours and a lot of those protective factors go out of the window. And I kind of thought I have to turn this into something positive and, you know, I have to be in integrity with this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I love the way you frame that as protective lifestyle factors, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's building resilience, right? And, and, you know, you talked about when your daughter got sick that you didn't have the capacity to sort of handle that curveball because you had, you know, you hadn't been practicing those protective lifestyle things and the self-care and the, um, I, you know, I love that that, I mean, it, it sucks the way that it all happened, right? That sometimes those wake-up calls are like, that's really painful. But I guess, you know, I think there's that's maybe one of the gifts, right? That our bodies give us when they're like, whoa, <laughs> this isn't going to work, <laughs> right? Exactly. Somebody said to me the other day, I thought it was such a great quote. I need to look up who, who'd said it, but um, the body whispers until it screams. Yes. I've seen that too. I don't, I don't know who that's true to yeah. Too, but yeah, no, that's, it's so, so true. And, and also the integrity piece. I, I so appreciate you bringing that up because I think, you know, especially when you have a business that is built on you to a very large extent where you're delivering services that are, you know, that you've you know, personally are delivering those services. Yeah. <laughs> that integrity piece really does. It can really eat at you. I, I can so relate to that. I mean, and there's still, you know, things that like, you know, my community doesn't know about I me, mean, like nothing super crazy, but there's still things that I occasionally think, you know, I wonder if I should, you know, share that. And it's not an easy thing. How did you get over that? It's a vulnerable place to be. So how did you work through that vulnerability? Oh, I kind of jumped into it as a kind of very gut instinct. I need to do this as a, a podcast called Going There with Jen. It's a lady called Jen Verton, and she has this really lovely long form conversational um, podcast. And she has this this real knack for just getting you to open up. And I, I I was friends with her, and I said, I think I want to talk about this, and I think you might be the person to talk to. Uh, you know, with it, and then we'll broadcast it to the world. And um, but she was somebody that I trusted, and I knew that that she got it because she also has um, has been quite open about her own mental health challenges. And so we recorded it, and then I forgot about it, and I was like, oh, that, that was fine. That was actually quite therapeutic. It was really nice having a chat with her. And then it was broadcast, and then I had like the world's worst vulnerability hangover. For oh my goodness! Day. I bet. <gasps> yeah, and. All the things the all the things that you maybe imagine were going through my head. Who is going to trust me now? 
because they all now know that I am broken and that I am, you know, defective and mental. And, and we can all of that kind of critical self-talk that, you know, has been rumbling around over the years. And all of my clients, all of my community were lovely. I have not had one person say anything other than, thank you for talking about this. Or, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you are so honest and you're so open about this. And so it's actually helped to kind of strengthen that, that bond that I had with, with my community and with my clients and has allowed me to feel safe talking about it even more and talking about other aspects of as, you know, entrepreneurial life, how we can sabotage ourselves, how we can ignore some of the warning signs, how we can how we really need to look at how we're structuring our lifestyles and our business. So many of us come into running a business, you know, the whole laptop lifestyle, you can set your own hours. But the reality is, if you're not careful, you will end up working twice the hours that you did in, uh, you know, in an office. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to have boundaries around it. And so we need to be super vigilant. We need to do things like make sure that all of those protective factors, we're actively doing them. Like, you know, we have contact with people who aren't just our clients. You know, we actually have social contact and we have, you know, we eat well and we get some exercise each day and we drink enough water and we make sure we get enough sleep and we don't just try and push, push, push through and all that kind of hustle and grind, which is quite a... I think potentially a toxic message that there is in the business world because as somebody with an anxiety disorder, I'm really good at pushing through. I'm good at pushing through to the point where I make myself sick. And so for me, it's one I have to be super vigilant about, but I think just generally we need to look at what's the message that we're giving to ourselves and to each other. Because if we're just putting ourselves to the bottom of the pile until we're so depleted, there's nothing left. Well, we are our main resource in our business. It's not like we can pass it off to our team because even if you have a team, all of our solopreneurs don't, but even if you have a team, they can't do what you do. And so we need to be super, my coach, um, said to me, you need to treat yourself with exquisite reverence. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's true. Well, and I've sometimes said to people that, you know, all of these things that you're talking about, the having that baseline of self-care, that is part of your work, especially as an entrepreneur. It, it's, you know, the the taking a break to get exercise, to even just get outside for a few minutes, which I just did actually before we recorded this interview, because I was like, I am not in the right headspace right now. I got to get outside because I hadn't been out since this morning. And, you know, it's it's part of work. It is not I mean, yes, it's a break, but it's also, it is part of my work. Otherwise I can't do what I need to do is just, yeah. And we can understand this intellectually, but it it can sometimes be hard to, to break, to break through that into, you know, that, that mental um, frame that we have around being a slacker or whatever, (laughs) or whatever it shows up as, right? How, how do you help your clients? Um, Well, I have two questions. One, just kicking back to the anxiety piece of it for a minute, do you have specific anxiety management tools or resources that you can share that work for you? I I do. I mean, some of them are kind of long-term things and some of them are more kind of short-term in the moment. But for me, getting outside every day, I live in the north of England. It rains here a lot. It's (laughs) really tempting. Being in Seattle, I can totally relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, I think Manchester, England, and Seattle are about on par in terms of the amount of rainfall that we got. I remember we did that once. And so it can be tempting to, you know, stay in and be cozy, but no, come rain, come shine. I get outside every day. We have a dog and uh, it was one of the best things I ever did for my mental health was get the dog because she would literally eat my favorite shoes if I don't take her out every day. <laughs> Uh, and that's a good incentive. But I'm really lucky. We live in a city, but I'm five minutes away from some green space where, uh, you know, I, I live in the industrial north. So we have a lot of canals and rivers because that's how stuff got to the mills up here. And so I go and have a walk down by the, the river. I take the dog. That's non-negotiable. I quit alcohol. And this isn't necessarily something that I say, oh, everybody needs, needs to do that. It was a p- very personal decision. But what I did is I decided I would, I, there's a book called The Alcohol Experiment by Annie Grace. And the idea is that you, you quit alcohol for 30 days and you see how you feel. And I quit alcohol for 30 days and realized I felt a hell of a lot better. And that kind of low level anxiety that was kind of with me all the time faded so much. I was astonished at how, at the difference it made because alcohol had been one of those things that I'd kind of thought, well, it relaxes me. But actually, we learn about the science and how it interacts in the body. It it doesn't actually do that. It kind of, it, it ramps it up. It's the relief of taking the drink that gives you the impression that you're, you're more relaxed. Um, so that's been a really good long-term kind of uh, strategy. I've not had a drink since January and I can't see any reason why. I'm not saying never, you know, if I go to a wedding or a party or something, I might have a glass of champagne, but otherwise the regular drinking just, just doesn't work for me and my kind of, my, my makeup, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that it was framed as an experiment. My, my listeners will know that I'm a huge fan of just, just running an experiment, like see what happens because, you know, worst case it didn't work and you try something else and that's fine. Exactly. I walk every day, as I've said. I do yoga a couple of times a week. I do I need about 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation each day, but I find that really helpful. And I joined a choir. So when I think back to that, um, that conversation of what do you do for fun, I now go to my, my choir for fun. And it's, it's, it's such good fun. It, we're not... Uh, it's it's not professional. There's no pressure. You don't have to know how to read music. We go on for ninety minutes each week. We, you know, sing, and it's it's just kind of glorious. So they're all the kind of long term things. And then I I have some specific breathing techniques that I find are very helpful when I'm kind of in in the grips of things. I find mm-hmm. like a bath. There's some kind of yin yoga positions that I can find can give me some relief. So there's, and, and sometimes, you know, uh, some carver tea is, you know, just to kind of help get me back into equilibrium and having people around me who I can go to and kind of say, oh, I'm freaking out right now. I don't feel great. You know, with my husband or, or my friends or I will understand and kind of go, okay, you're going to be fine and kind of give me that sense of, of safety because that's what's happening when you have an anxiety attack is that your whole body is going, I'm in danger, I'm in danger. Yeah, it's so important to have those people too. And I, and I, I love that you've sort of been able to sort out who those people are, right? And we all have to kind of do that. We all have to be clear about, you know, 
who provides that that safe space for us. So I'm curious about as a business owner, specifically, you know, are there challenges that have come up around the anxiety disorder that, that are kind of unique to being a business owner that you've noticed? Anything that you haven't already mentioned around that? Um, well, I suppose I, if one of the things that, you know, certainly drives my anxiety is, is the kind of this idea of safety, then <laughs> that there's not a lot of security running your own business. You know, you don't have enough clients coming in, or you're worried about cash flow and, and things like that. And so it's really kind of forced me to get much more systematized when it comes to my business. And that helps not only, and you know, I changed my business model up last year so that I wasn't having to launch several times a year. I just do one main launch a year. And so I, I, I do now a nine month program. That's the main way that people can work with me. I have a program called the Supernova Collective and it's just, oh, it's glorious. I just, I love, I love it. The results people get are just amazing because it is just them showing up and being able to step <laughs> their supernovaness. It's, oh, it's wonderful. Um, but actually changing that from a six month that I sold twice a year to a nine month that I just did once a year takes out a lot of that. Um, it gives me some of that kind of security and that consistency, but also having really good people, not only that I mastermind with, but having regular kind of almost like social, I do these things called um, virtual cuppers. Sorry, virtual cup of tea. Um, I like it. I did see I, that on your website now that you mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm doing a project where I'm, I may need to do 100 of them between now and the end of the year. So I'm about 25% in. I've done about 25 of them so far. And they're just lovely. They're really nice ways to network. They're great ways to, to build connections and build support. And there is nothing more. And I say this to all of my clients, I say this to all of, all of my colleagues and my peers, there is nothing as fortifying as having other people go, oh, me too. Yeah, I know yes, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, totally, right? It's just the connecting as humans, right? I mean, it's, and you know, it's interesting if I had to kind of sum up everything that you're saying, both with the the personal stuff around um, self-care and then also the way that you have approached your business in order to uh, sort of mitigate anxiety is just creating a, a baseline for, for being resilient and, and, and being very mindful and intentional about the way that you organize your life. Is that what it feels like to you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Which is ironic, really, because I started my, my business life as a coach around resilience. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Well, there you I'm, go. But sometimes we have to take our own medicine, so to speak. Absolutely. And I think I had just got a little bit kind of complacent with it all. And, you know, yes. but, but yeah, it is absolutely so much of it. It all comes back to resilience because we are our main resource. And so if we just keep depleting that resource till there's nothing left, then you have, you have nothing left of, of a business let alone being a decent human, you know, who can function in the world. So, so that is the gift of having something, even though, you know, it's a fairly heavy duty and horrible gift sometimes, but there is that upside of actually, I, I don't get to mess around with this. I don't get to be complacent with this. It also gives me, I think, a real deep sense of empathy with other people because I get it when someone's having a hard time. I get it when somebody is, you know, struggling with being visible and what will people think of me and all of that. You know, I have a 
deep kind of well of of empathy for that kind of stuff. And I think that makes me a better coach. I'm, I'm kind of unusual in that I do a lot of stra- strategic stuff with people, but I do an awful lot of the kind of more, I suppose, life coachy aspects of building a business, which is around the mindset, which is around, you know, bolstering people's confidence, helping them see their own brilliance. And I'm not sure I'd be as good at that if I hadn't had these experiences myself. Yeah, I think that's right. I can absolutely relate to that. I think that, you know, because I'm very honest with my clients that I sometimes struggle with a lot of the same things they do, you know, specifically around, you know, emotional eating and, you know, all that kind of, that I've been through that and sometimes still have to manage it. I think it makes me a far better coach. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know that I would be able to help people. I mean, you know, until you've experienced something. So I think that's, that's very, very true. Yeah, I hate to wrap this up, but I want to end and make sure that people know where to go to learn more about you and your work. Yeah. Um, I know I could, I could talk to you for ages. <laughs> um, they can find me at joecasey.com. So it's J-O-C-A-S-E-Y.com. And you'll find details of all of my programs. My main program is called the Supernova Collective and it launches um, again in September. And it's specifically for coaches and healers and service-based folks who are wanting to build an authentic, sustainable business. So we do lots of strategic stuff. We do lots of hands-on copywriting and messaging, but then we also do real kind of tailored to you and to your natural preferences, kind of a, a, a kind of sustainable marketing plan, holistic sales, all of that. It's really is kind of soup to nuts and we do it in this really gorgeous, supportive community, virtual space as well. So that, that's my, my main thing. But, you know, I, I am also open to doing half day intensives with people if you want help with your messaging, your, your copywriting and, and things like that. And uh, I have a podcast called The Meaningful Business Podcast and you can find that everywhere you can find good podcasts. I love it. Thank you so much, Joe. And yeah, I definitely hope my listeners check all that stuff out. Thank you so much. This has been, just been a delight. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lardalch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lardalch.com slash podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media.